I don't know if you were here with us last Sunday evening, but let me just tell you that the joint worship service we had in this place last week was overwhelming. Uh, The praise of God's people here in this place was overpowering. This is just a sample of some of the comments that I received after that worship service. Someone said, I thought the columns were going to start to shake. Another person said they thought the the plaster was going to crack and the ceiling was going to fall. Another person said they thought our singing was going to take the roof off of this place. So whether falling or blowing off, the roof was going to come down, was the opinion after last Sunday's worship. I had those same feelings. It was as if our best and our loudest singing wasn't enough to fully express the praise. And yet, that's all that we had. And I thought of the words of that old hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine, were were all of it mine, that were an offering far too small, even all the world, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I felt as if we were privileged to experience what the Apostle Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And there was joy in this place. And there was praise. And it was glorious. The praise was real. The Lord was present with us. Our praise is not rote. It's not ritual. When it's empowered by the Spirit of God. And so this morning, I pray that the Spirit of God will reveal to each and every one of us the potential of the praise that comes from people who are devoted to and deeply changed by the means of grace. That He'll excite you. That He'll encourage you. That He'll give you great hope for great growth in God's kingdom as we, God's people, give ourselves fully to the praise of our great God. We must glorify God. It's the main purpose for which we exist on this earth. And through the means of grace, we can enjoy Him now and finally and forever when we lay aside these means of grace. And exchange them for the presence of Christ himself. What a day that will be. Toward that end, I'm going to ask you if you'll take your Bibles now. And turn them to Acts chapter 2. When you found your place in Acts chapter 2 in your own Bible or in the pew Bible in front of you, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. This is the word of our God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would fulfill your promise to us once again that where your word is read and heard, in that place is blessing. Father, we know not now in this moment what blessing that you have for us, but we know that you have it. And according to your good purpose and your sovereign will in our lives, we pray that you would bestow it on us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, after 20 weeks, I'm finally going to land this plane. I'm going to end this beautiful series on the means of grace, which for me personally has been quite life-changing. But here's the thing. The end. The end of the means of grace. The end of the Word of God the end of prayer, the end of the table of the Lord does not bring us down. Instead, it takes us to the very heights. Would you look with me in verse 47? We read there, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the height, the apex, the pinnacle, the summit. Because for His own glory... Before the foundation of the world itself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit put a plan in place that would make certain that people could be saved daily. God's glory shows most brightly, most brilliantly, most miraculously when through the Lord Jesus Christ... God saves sinful, rebellious, hell-bound people like you and me. Listen, it's the very height of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all a revelation of everything that God has decreed and everything that God has done in order to save people daily. It doesn't get any higher than this, one of the great lies, one of the great deceptions that the enemy of our soul speaks to us is to make us believe that people are basically good at heart. Our American culture holds that belief very deeply, very closely. We act as if it were true. We even legislate as if it were true. This belief that if you just dig deep enough, you'll find gold. And because so many people, maybe even most people, passionately believe that they recoil from. And then they ridicule the thought that good people, good at heart people, need to be saved. Saved from what? Our culture asks. They recoil from and then they ridicule the thought that all people deserve the deepest, darkest, hottest hell 
for our sinful rebellion against the one and only true and living, holy, holy, holy God. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and unrighteousness, the wrath of God. Now, if you are around my age, older, I'm not sure what goes on these days, but for those of us in that category, 11th grade American lit class meant that you and I read that famous sermon by that famous and great American preacher and theologian, Jonathan Edwards, that he preached in 1741, and you know what's coming next. The name of the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is a quote from that sermon. The God that holds you over the pit of hell abhors you. And is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet, tis nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. Tis to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you was suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you rose, arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. Good at heart people don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear about what they rightly deserve. And that's really tragic. You know why it's tragic? Because if they don't want to hear about what they deserve, then they miss the beauty of receiving what they do not deserve. The love of God. The grace of God. Pour it out on not good at heart, undeserving people through the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of compassion. The God of mercy who does indeed hold us up. Who saves us. Who rescues us from what we rightly deserve. So yes, when we read that the Lord added daily those who were being saved. Notice the passive tense. Being saved because it's God who's doing the work then we are in the highest heights, the heights of the love of God for His people. It's the Lord's good and gracious heart to save us. He's not compelled, He's not coerced by anyone else to save us. He's not compelled, He's not coerced by anything we do, particularly those good works that we think we do to obligate God to love us and accept us. No, it is His will to save us. Is that good news? And he doesn't just lift us out of danger of divine wrath. He puts us into blessing. He doesn't just deliver us from punishment. He brings us into glory. He doesn't just remove the threat of hell from us. He gives us the hope of heaven. This is what God has done for you. 
Is this good news? Is this good news? Thank you. How does the Lord then bring about this salvation? At least, how do we see him doing it? Here in these verses, this is the exciting part for me, the encouraging part. The part that should give us great hope for the growth of the kingdom of God. The Lord's daily adding of those he saved to the church comes at the end of this passage. At which we've looked now for these many, many months. We've come to know the people described in these verses quite well. And we have looked over and over again at their devotion to the means of grace. And that devotion to the means of grace brought great change to their lives. Change that you could observe. A community formed around these heart-changed people. We see what change the means of grace brought when we look in verse 46. Look there. It says they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Through the means of grace, God transformed their hearts, made their hearts glad, made their hearts generous. Now, our word glad doesn't really reflect the intensity of the Greek word that Luke uses here. Consider this often repeated conversation. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good. Glad to hear it. How are you? Good. Glad to hear it. See you later. See you later. Right? Now, the glad that you feel that your friend is doing okay doesn't capture the glad that was in the hearts of these people. The word that Luke uses here for glad means a piercing exclamation. A piercing exaltation. So, if you really were glad that your friend was fine and you were using this word that Luke uses, you would probably grab them by the shoulder and say, You're fine? You're, you're really, really fine? Is this true? This is so wonderful. This is so amazing. And then you would let them go. And you would grab them again and say, You're fine? This is stupendous. I am so glad. There you would have the word. That Luke uses here. The means of grace to which these people were devoted. The means of grace that took them to Jesus gave them glad hearts. Hearts of piercing exclamation. Hearts of piercing exaltation. Now, couple this word with its partner. Here in verse 46, generous. This word's only used once in the New Testament. It's here in these verses. And this word means humility associated with simplicity of life. Humility associated with simplicity of life. Simplicity of heart. That's why the NIV translates this verse with glad and sincere hearts. The New American Standard translates this with gladness and sincerity of heart. And the King James as gladness and simplicity of heart. But we can easily see where the translation generous comes from because the one whose heart has found all that needs it needs in Christ the heart that is satisfied 
and secure. And Christ can live simply and humbly. That person is free from self-centeredness, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, self-advancement. And so that person can be generous and freely give to others because that person is at rest in Christ. The song in Christ alone captures this so beautifully. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled. When strivings cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. That to me is the picture of the generous heart. Now look again in verse 47. It tells us that with that kind of heart, a changed heart, a glad and generous heart, these believers were praising God. When they gathered together corporately, they praised God with a glad and generous heart. When they were scattered in their homes, we read, they praised God with glad and generous hearts. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what we call doxological evangelism. Evangelism through doxology. Evangelism through praise. Doxa means praise. Logia means word, and so it's a word of praise spoken to God. We sing the doxology. We're going to sing it this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below, preacher, creatures above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When people, when you and I praise God deeply from the heart, both when we are together and when we are scattered out in the world. And when others see our praise, God is pleased to save people through it. Because Scripture tells us that God inhabits. He dwells within. He is shown to be alive when He is the center of His people's praise. And as those who are yet to be saved. Look in at people of God and experience the reality of their praise and worship. They are drawn into the reality of our relationship with Christ. Now that ought to make you and me think deeply about how we praise. It ought to excite us about what our praise can accomplish when we prepare ourselves to praise God through the means of grace, when we engage in praise and worship, not distractedly, not rotely, but wholeheartedly, the Lord may be bringing people among us week by week into our worship who don't yet know Him. Think about how God might use your doxology, your praise in their life. Puritan John Owen writes, If the word does not dwell with power in us, it will not pass from, with power from us. Or to say it positively, 
If the word dwells with power in us, it will pass with power from us. Powerful praise. Look in your bulletin. First page. Right under, we prepare to worship our great God. This is from another Puritan, Scottish Puritan, David Dixon. He says, it's not sufficient to offer the empty vessel of our joy unto God or our singing voice and musical tune only. But also it's required that we fill our joyful voice with holy, holy matter and good purpose, whereby God only may be reasonably praised. In Psalm 133, David writes, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, commanded the blessing, life evermore. One more quote, Charles Spurgeon writes about this verse. Where love reigns, God reigns. He is so pleased to see his dear children happy in one another, that he fails not to make them happy in himself. He gives especially his best blessing of eternal life, for love is life. Dwelling together in love, we have begun the enjoyments of eternity, for these shall not be taken from us. Let us love forevermore, and we shall live forevermore. So look what God has done. In Acts 2, in Acts 2, God has created a Psalm 133 community, a community of unity, a community of compassion, a community of devotion, and a community of praise. They praised the Lord together. And what did the Lord do? He commanded His blessing. He commanded His Psalm 133 blessing, life forevermore. The people praised God saved, he granted daily the gift of eternal life, doxological evangelism. Now listen. Philippians 2 tells us how all of this is going to wrap up. Not this series, not the means of grace. How, this, how everything is going to end. We already know. He tells us, God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, that's how it's going to end. Is that good news? Does that encourage you? Well, from the very first days of the church, through the praise of those who believe in the resurrected Christ, God advances history toward that every knee shall bow moment. And he continues that advancement through us and through our praise. Our gathered corporate worship, Our scattered in our home praise makes it evident that our God is real. That our God 
changes hearts. That our God changes lives. And God uses that reality to draw people to himself. And of course the praise came to these people as it comes to us. The changed hearts came to these people as it comes to us through the means of grace. The word of God that takes us to Jesus. Prayer that brings us into his presence. The table that takes us to him. These change us. These means of grace do. They turn us into people of praise. And so now as we leave this series on the means of grace, I want to remind all of us one last time. May I do it one last time? These people were devoted to the means of grace, to the word, to the prayer, to table, the table of the Lord. They held them fast. They continued in them. They persevered in them. That's what the word devoted means. And by implication, that means that many dangers, many toils, many snares came along in their lives to draw them away from the means of grace. To distract them from the means of grace. To tempt them to loosen their grip on them. But they remained devoted. They did not let go. Listen. Different toils, dangers, and snares are going to come into our lives. Seeking to draw you and me away from the means of grace. Seeking to distract us from the means of grace. To occupy us so that we believe we don't have time for them. Our enemy, your enemy and my enemy, is going to lie to us. He's going to say, why bother? How's prayer really helping you right now? What's the study of God's Word accomplishing for you right now? Worship? It's a waste of your time. You don't really feel anything when you go, so why bother? Can I say this, please? Don't listen to the lies. In those times, in those seasons when you think it's not worth it, persevere. Be devoted. God's given us to each other. Come among us. We'll carry you our faith, our hope, our love. We can't let go of the means of grace. Just because the series ends, we got to continue in them for all of our lives, for the rest of our lives. We persevere. That's what devotion is. And guess what our reward is? Guess who our reward is? It's Christ. Christ in the table. Christ in prayer. Christ in the word. Just being in his presence. Just being in his presence will give you a glad and generous heart. And from that heart, you must praise. And now we know. Now we know what God can do. What God will do through people of praise. He builds his kingdom. So let you and I together live lives of praise before our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is worthy 
of all the praise that we can render unto you. Lord, were the whole realm of nature ours, it would be an offering far too small to give to one as great and glorious and loving and compassionate and merciful as you are. And so, Father, we ask now that as we devote ourselves to the means of grace, show us Jesus. That's all we need. Lord, when we see him, we will have seen enough. And when we see him, we will praise, but not enough, never enough. Show us Jesus, we pray. Amen.